Welcome to the Entertainment Engine. Hello, my name is Peter Moore. And I'm Bex Gregory. And welcome to the next episode of the Entertainment Engine. The idea behind this podcast is to provide clarity and information on the entertainment industry for new bands and artists, as well as existing creative industry people who are looking just to brush up on their knowledge. You can listen to us on all streaming platforms and be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. If you want to learn more about what we do on a day-to-day basis, then please visit our website, seamlessentertainment.co.uk. Each week, we'll be bringing you an in-depth area of the entertainment industry. Also on the show, Bex has the facts of the day and a question for this week for our listeners. Plus, I'll have all the latest entertainment news. And now we have our next special guest on the show, Charlotte Armitage. Charlotte is a media psychologist specialising in the film and TV industry, particularly psychological duty of care processes in production. Charlotte is the managing director of Yorkshire Academy of Film and Television Acting, YAFTA, and YAFTA Talent Agency, and has over 10 years experience of working in the industry. Charlotte is a resident expert for BBC Radio, where she regularly contributes to pieces on a wide variety of psychological topics, including mental health, mental health in the workplace, and acting industry and disability representation in the media. Well, today on the Entertainment Engine, I have a really special guest, and today I'm joined by Charlotte Armitage. Charlotte, good afternoon. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. Before we get into, you know, discussing the world that you live and work in, how have you been coping with um, COVID and how did your weekend go? Um, my weekend was really lovely. Um, I spent some time outdoors in nature, went to Yorkshire Sculpture Park and um, just enjoyed the weather and being outdoors. And, I, you know, I think it's been too easy to uh, stay indoors <laughs> uh, throughout this um, COVID period. So uh, forcing myself to get back out there and it really does change your mindset to just get out into nature a little bit and uh, and to switch off. But yeah, the, the COVID situation, it's been really bizarre, hasn't it? And I, I don't think that we're going to realise how much it's affected us until we maybe start to return back to normality. But I've certainly um, slowed down a little bit uh, I think people have felt this, that they were running around like a headless chicken in their lives with work and family and everything else they've got going on. And um, actually, it's, it's, is it really the right way to live in so busy that you, you haven't got a minute to sort of stand and notice what's going on around you? completely agree. And I think the world as we know, it's completely changed. And, uh, you know, I've been talking to some friends over the last few weeks and sort of all in the same situation and especially with mums and dads with children at school and homeschooling how have you um have you been dealing with that have you become a a really good teacher and uh, mum at the same time no (laughs) No, lots of tears mainly from me uh it was it my child's really defiant and um you know we just don't have that dynamic where i'm her teacher so you know you try all the tactics to get them to do things and they don't want to do it and you know, there were, there, there were tantrums and, and not just from her. So it's, it's, <laughs> it is, it was, it's not something I would do again. And I don't really think that it's right. You know, the most important thing I felt was for children to come out of this 
situation as psychologically unharmed as possible, maintaining a good attitude towards education. And they, you know, if it, that was being compromised through their parents doing the homeschooling, then it, I think just leave it. I would have rather my daughter just have the time off. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we just we, we just do our own thing to learn, you know, which everyone learns different ways. And she certainly learned a lot, might not be, you know, going to hit the academic, but she's learned a lot um, over this period of time. So, I mean, my, my little girl's only six anyway. So, you know, that although these years are very important, everyone's in the same boat and they can catch up. So, to be honest, I made the decision uh, before the end of term that to to disengage with the homeschooling because it wasn't having a good effect on her and I felt that um, it could have had an impact on our relationship and I just didn't want, want to put her through that really so um, I decided not to and as soon as we stopped homeschooling it's been fine I've actually really loved having a home it's been great yeah we had to do a lockdown again I, I would I would the homeschooling yeah isn't isn't it's not for me no way no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> there were teachers and they've all said I, you know, I'm a teacher and my child just will not do the work for me, you know, and uh, but they don't and they, they shouldn't, you know, in a way, if a child is, uh, I suppose, when a child is um, feels safe and comfortable and stable at home, then they will tell you exactly how they feel and do what they want. And uh, that that's really how children should be in the home. So because when they learn to be like that in the home environment, that's how they learn how, how they're supposed to act. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't mind the fact that my daughter was been like that. I mean, I, the thing is, I wish the school had said, there's no pressure. If you don't do it, you don't do it. But I felt like I had pressure on me to get all this work done. And it wasn't until the end where a teacher just said, look, we have to send this, but you don't have to do it. And I thought, well, you could have told me that three months ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's it, you know, we, we've got there. Yeah. How did, how did you find it? Well, I, I, mean, I haven't got any children, but I've got plenty of people that I know that do have children. And I, I think some of them sort of share the same response as you, where one of the guys we work with, he's got two daughters and, um, you know, they would argue in the morning, but he tried to get them a, a routine each day where they would do a few hours sort of homeschooling, they go and play. And he said, it's really, really difficult. And I think the biggest thing that I found that sort of come to me with, with people sort of views what's happened is they want the children to go back to school. They feel that, you know, they should be back at school and they've missed out such a big education. But also you've got a balance of, you know, scientists arguing with the government and does it spread with children? Do children spread it? I think, you know, it's it's a really difficult one. But I do think children's education is, is really important. But I also think as well, the really good point you made, Charlotte, is having your daughter at home for these six months and building a even bigger bond with her and relationship and you understand her better, I think that's just as good as well to be honest with you well it is actually i think the children need a, a stable and secure home and then they can really take on anything in the world and uh whatever's thrown at them and education is important when it's delivered in yeah. the correct setting yeah. um and school's important socially however people have had very little education and gone on to have some people have had little education and gone on to have successful careers or found roots into academia later in life and there are there's so many different it's not the be all and end all there are other ways to do other things uh certainly i do think that from a social perspective i mean, i'm quite lucky where i live my daughter's got lots of friends around here so and they both and to be honest they've only become friends i mean she's really close with the next door neighbor's child but she's become friends with all these other children where we live and that would never have happened without covid because she wouldn't have been going off on a bike i bought one of these watches it's called um a kid's nav and they're really <laughs> okay. good so basically okay. they're 
they're a bit like an eye an eye watch but obviously for children and yep. you can set it up on your phone so you know you can see where they are you can bring them they can ring you you can take a picture of where they are from it so it's quite good you know if you've got because my daughter was only six when I got her that you know she's going off and riding around on a bike she's seven now going off riding around on a bike um you know I, I want to know where she is because they have a tendency to just go off and do what they want don't they when there's a group of them but <laughs> yeah. and forget that mummy sat at home thinking where have you been um so it's yeah. quite good yeah, yeah. how she'll go and we've got to know I, we've, I've got to know the parents and made new friends she's made new friends and it's that has been so lovely and that would never have happened without covid so i mean she's had the you know that social interaction but if if we would been in a position or we'd lived in a place where she wasn't getting that then i would be really wanting to get her back into school as soon as possible yeah. i would feel that she was yeah. missing out on interacting with peers but because she's she's we're lucky enough that she's got that it's actually been quite nice been quite a nice balance really um so so we're lucky but i appreciate that obviously not everybody's going to be in that situation and if you're in a place where you're isolated uh, you know your home's quite isolated then you know you, the children might not be getting what they need and they're likely to be doing everyone's head in <laughs> if they're just if they're just <laughs> exactly. at home and you have to entertain them 24 yeah. 7 the reality is that yeah exactly quite challenging <laughs> <laughs> so Obviously, with you, with you know, with your your upbringing and what you've done, you know, tell us a little bit about your journey, where you grew up. Have you always lived in Yorkshire, or have you moved around? Have you always sort of been a, a, based in England, or have you lived in any other parts of the world? Uh, yeah, so I've always lived in Yorkshire, pretty much. Um, I mean, I moved to London for a bit when I was in my twenties, um, and then I I went to Trinidad when I was nine for about four months when a relative died, but really always been based in, in the UK. I've obviously been off traveling really all over the world, but my base has always been here in Yorkshire. Um, grew up in um, Harrogate, in a place called Spofford okay. actually. And um, really nice little village, went to uh, school in Harrogate. Um, my upbringing was, you know, it was a bit of a challenging one, really. My brother was, was severely disabled. Um, he had fits as a baby, which left him brain damaged. And, you know, my parents found that quite difficult to cope with. And then our whole lives really revolved around that. So it was, you know, it was, yeah, I don't know. So it was quite a difficult upbringing, I suppose, because everything was really hard. You know, everything was just difficult. They didn't really have much money and... You, you know they struggled they struggled with everything it was just it just felt like a big struggle really and uh you know my brother was was hard work you know he was really hard work because and even now he still has to have everything done for him and he's in yeah. his 40s i mean yeah. so he's he, you know, he's, he's quite severe dis disabilities really so you know my upbringing was i suppose quite i suppose a bit of a challenging one really um, so, I, you know, when we talk about education, then, you know, I didn't do the best at school without a doubt, you know, I, I didn't because I, I didn't really have the capacity to or, you know, maybe the support to uh, or the belief in myself to. I think it comes a lot of this comes down to confidence and and I didn't really have that myself. So, you know, with my, um, you know, my GCSEs, I was in hospital. I missed most of them. I had to do them at college a year later and, and I did fine did A-levels but ended up leaving and getting a job and then to be honest I found my way into university in my 20s early 20s did my undergraduate degree in psychology then I went and did a master's I'm doing a doctorate now so there are you know when I was saying about education and there being different ways you know there are that my my journey certainly wasn't the standard school GCSE A-level university and then 
you know, standard routes. I think people come into their own um, academically or with whatever it might be in their life when they feel ready to. I know I completely echo that and it sort of, you know, reminds me a little bit of my journey and um, just the way that I, you know, I didn't go through the, the, the massive education process and do a degree. And I, I suppose with looking at your brother, Charlotte, is that what inspired you to be a psychotherapist and sort of moving that forward or was that later on in sort of looking at your career and going to university? How did that sort of come about for you? Definitely. I, I, my my environment at home and uh, my own difficulties that I had growing up around me with my whole yeah. family absolutely inspired me to become a psychotherapist. And there's nothing that I enjoy more than working people out, you know, <laughs> um, working people out, trying to understand what's going on, trying to help them overcome whatever difficulties they have. And, and maybe that really harks back to some part of me always wanting to try and heal my own childhood. I think anybody who wants to become, who goes into psychotherapy and has their own kind of stories. I think we've all got our own stories, just not, we don't no. all explore them and we just yeah. leave them where they are. But, you know, part of the training and it, it really is to ha know yourself on quite a deep level. And um, I'd definitely, and at a young age, I was interested in psychology and, and people and who they are and why they are and why they tick and, you know, what's going on inside the head and uh, the mind of other people. So I've always known that this was what I wanted to do, I, always. And and it, I, I, I just love it. I just love doing it. I really enjoy it. I mean, you're really, you're, you're the type of person you want to take into... Now we've got a big meeting, a big corporation, and you, we should take you into that meeting and sit in between us. And you just got a notepad and a pen, and you can just work everybody out within a matter of a few minutes. Well, maybe not a few minutes. <laughs> you, know, some, you know, some people are really um, easy to to read, and also, I mean, it does. You know, this is uh, it, it's kind of it, when you grow up in an environment that's a bit chaotic you develop skills of being able to read people quite innately. You know, so my, my my dad always jokes that my brother, who's seven years older than me, used to always try and swipe me, you know, when I was really small. Yeah. So I'd be sort of 10 months old and he'd, you know, you're not happy with this new baby in the house and he'd always come and try and whack me. And my dad said, I just knew and I'd just duck. But so innately, I'd, as a baby, I'd, you know, learned to kind of assess my environment around me quite quickly to know when <laughs> someone was going to come and try and smack me over on the back of the head as so you know you develop those sorts of skills but that really helps in this kind of job because it you know it helps you to sort of understand and and, and read people um and, and i suppose in some ways it can be quite draining because you're quite open to receiving that and if you're doing it all yeah. the time you know you have to learn to set your boundaries or else you end up you know soaking in too much of uh everything else that's going on around you really so i suppose you know you're training and with your upbringing and obviously with you with your brother and his situation there's a lot to deal with and obviously as a psychotherapist what what challenges have you faced in that area you would say in the working industry today what's the big challenges you face there i mean it's always challenging i suppose that kind of work in in different ways i mean there's a lot more of it a lot more there are a lot there's a, there's a bigger need for it now i think that's the reality of it there's a yeah, gosh over over the period of covid the the inquiries have just gone yes. through the roof um there's a lot of people and i suppose that my frustrations are well not frustrations but there's just so many people that need the support and it takes a long time as well as therapy you think people think it should happen quicker it doesn't it can take years and years and years to be done properly 
and depending on what you're working with yes. of course yeah. um but you know it can take a very long time and it, you you want people to commit to the process and people tend to i think we all benefit from therapy I, you know i don't I, I say that but also i'm aware that it can be really destabilizing and actually if someone's functioning fine and they're they're well and it's whether you want to open necessarily open that can of worms no one should be going in so deep that it's, it's too much for you to the can of worms has been opened you, you can't put the lid back on but you know most people i think if they they had that stable space and it was the right modality of therapy for them and it was you know delivered in the right way uh would probably find it quite useful so therapy is something that uh i think that people are becoming more aware of now and more receptive to and uh yeah, I, I don't think I don't know really what to say about what, what I find challenging about it. I suppose, you know, when you're working in um, services, so if you're working in, say, NHS services and or charitable services or whatever, you're limited by the sessions or by the service. Um, private practice is a bit better because you can, you know, offer as much therapy as you think the person needs and how much they want to commit to rather than being kind of time limited certainly nhs services are absolutely overwhelmed they were before lockdown and yeah. they are now yeah, yeah. No, I agree. um and you know you know we're seeing a surge of problems i think we're going to see the ramifications of this lockdown on mental yes. health and actually we'll probably see them for possibly decades to come not just years um because it's actually the impact of these children that are at home during this environment the impact of that environment on their psychological well-being and how that's going to affect the way they relate to the world now so i suppose if they can go back into school and start to function healthily again because remember some children schools their their happy place being at home is a stressful environment for them so for them to all of a sudden be at home 24 7 for months on end it, that could have been a very stressful environment for some young children yeah difficult I, i've certainly found switching to you know working online through covid that that's brought challenges um for for some of my patients for me and for for me as the therapist and some of the, the patients really uh, some people it's been good because they've been able to access access the support more freely um other people who have struggled with moving to the online domain it you know so um it can almost be re-traumatizing really going from seeing somebody in a room every week and then all of a sudden they've been removed it's yes. a bit yeah yeah almost uh, yeah. as if you've disappeared you know on them it's a bit alien to them yeah yeah and i think really looking at your experience and the, the sort of journey that you had you know what i suppose what's the best part of your job and why did you choose to be a media psychologist i've really specialized in the film and tv industry um what sort of really ignited that sort of spark in you to do that well, I worked in the film and TV industry before uh, psychology was uh, a big uh, part of it, which is really only becoming, um, it's, it, the Ofcom broadcast code has only changed recently. So uh, and now it's yeah. becoming yeah. Uh, a bigger part of it. it. I think it's been there, but perhaps... I don't know whether I'd be right in saying not as stringent or I think that I think a lot's changed and not just from the way psychologists work in this industry, but the way producers are, uh, the way that um, shows are edited and consent and all of that. Um, all of those considerations have now changed quite a lot in the last couple of years. But I worked in the film and TV industry before and I knew I could see, you know, when you've come from one industry into another, you, I could see that there were certain things going yes. on that didn't feel ethical to me didn't feel right um and 
it, in the, in Yafta, so that's Yorkshire Academy of Film and Television Acting. So that's my um, academy. Yeah. There, we used to we I used to always hammer home about psychological resilience and how it's uh, the realities of working in the industry and how difficult it can be and how it can affect your mental health and what they can do to look look after themselves when they go out there into the you know the big bad world. Um, because uh, I was aware of, of the challenges of it. And um, so that was always part of it. And then I was doing my doctorate and it, the industry just seemed to change. So I'm on the Media Ethics Advisory Board of the British uh, Advisory Group of the British Psychological Society. And they sort of deal with yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. quite a lot of different things uh, related to kind of psychologists in the media, but also related to um, really production companies now and what kind of, uh, what risk assessments do they need to do? What kind of psychological assessment do they need to do? What kind of aftercare? And, and really it was just a real natural kind of progression for me to move into that, given that I had a very good understanding of production, uh, the, the risk of certain productions. Uh, so things like I had someone said to me the other day, oh, oh yeah, you know, things like Love Island, they just seem like they're such low risk. And from my perspective, I'm, I think absolutely not. I, I would say as a psychologist, a, a reality TV show that involves relationships being taken away from your home environment, they're probably one of the higher risk type of productions, especially with something that goes out on a major, you know, channel every night of the week, that brings with it more risk. Um, and that's actually from a psychological perspective, you know, where the more risk is possibility for more harm. So there needs to be a lot more support in place for those individuals. So it was like a natural progression into that really. So I really enjoy doing that work. Um, you know, working on a couple of productions now and and I do really love it. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's more, perhaps slightly more nerve wracking in the sense of the, the film and TV industry, everything's very fast paced and uh yep. <laughs> you know yep. therapy yep. if you're doing therapy with someone you do <laughs> once a week or maybe twice a week and yeah. it's you yeah. know quite slow and it's, it's gradual and you you're working at the, the pace the individual needs to and i appreciate it's a completely different job when you're working in the film tv industry because it's assessing and supporting but um it's it's very fast so things need to be done quite quickly and yes yeah, so i think that everyone has to adapt because is not how a psychologist would normally work and it's probably not how a production company would normally work either um but you want to make sure i i certainly want to make sure that i don't make any mistakes obviously and it's not a case of oh well i'll tick this box this box and this box yes you're okay no. you know it's a no. case of doing a full assessment and really a, yeah, yeah. a vulnerability profile on the individual and looking at how do I think those vulnerabilities are going to be exacerbated through this environment, which is also unique because every production is unique? Uh, what do we expect to happen from this production and cross-referencing the individual and the production and what's going to come after the production, which can't predict the future. We can only make a, an educated guess on no, that. And no, no. based on, you know, historical events, that's what we have to kind of base it on. So you know i suppose it's it's interesting it is really interesting and you meet such different people doing it as well i mean it's it's great i do enjoy it well i think and i think you sort of sharing some really you know some really good points as well charlotte because i think from our perspective one of the reasons why we started the podcast was partly out of covid but we also wanted to share some really great information knowledge about you know different parts of the industry and our experience and bringing on you know some really great guests and i think 
part of my experience was tour managing quite a lot of bands and I had one band several years ago and the guitarist was a phenomenal guitarist and you know did quite a lot of shows with him and then basically he was on stage fantastic and he would come off and he would be really depressed and really down and he would just go to the bottle he would just drink a lot and there was no support mechanism mm. at all from major labels or you know from tour support and this was quite a few years ago. So I, I also think as well, and it's, it's a little bit of a bugbear of mine, so it'd be great to get your thoughts on this area, where you mentioned Love Island, which, you know, is a massive, massive show. I just don't think reality TV stars and people that go on these shows, they don't really understand why they're there. And then they, they get thrown off, whether it's a, you know, a, a, a pop show or a music show or, you know, a big show like Love Island. And... Sometimes it can be devastating for them, but they don't really know why they're there until they've come off of it and think, well, actually, that didn't really work out for me, but I just wanted to be I wanted to be famous. And I think fame is only for really the very few, really. Uh, yeah, and for, certainly when I'm doing assessments, I always look at why. What What is it? What are, do you think fame will bring? Because it won't bring what you think it will bring. No. You know, no. it's something you can't really take away once you get it. And the world isn't... People are quite mean online. And... Uh, it's it's what what is it that why are they doing it what do they want is it that they're trying to fill some sort of void is it because you know someone didn't pay enough attention when they were younger and now they need need someone to pay attention to them you know what 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 are the reasons or is it you know you're getting paid some decent money you want to go do it you're trying to promote a brand you're trying to do this you know looking at I guess the real reasons of why people are doing doing this uh is is a big part of what I'm doing in the pre-production just because actually if someone wants fame that always you know suggests to me that there's something more going on yeah yeah because to want need that many people to 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 notice you you know suggests as if you almost you haven't been held in the mind of the people who were around you when you you were brought not always for everybody because there are lots of people who have very stable happy upbringings who choose to to go and do these types of productions um for whatever reason and of course i mean it's a career isn't it now you can make a lot of money you can go on to be an instagram influencer people can get a lot out of it but there are people who sort of yearn for it for other reasons and they're perhaps the most vulnerable uh because actually if they don't get that that's when they might feel um as if it's a reflection on them as a person they might feel deflated programs like love island are quite risky because it's um taking people most people most of these people haven't been in the public eye before uh they're going Going onto a TV show which puts them in the limelight uh, for weeks on end, and um, the, the, then they come out. They're taken away from the home environment. They're taken away from their phones. Uh, then they come out and they have to deal with the ramifications of of what's gone on, how it's been edited, as well um, in there. So actually, I do think that that one has. Uh, you know, I suppose it's it is risky, and you can. I know that there are really strict and stringent casting protocols that are in place and consent protocols, but consent is quite contentious as a concept anyway. Really, you know, it, you can consent to what you think it is, but you don't know because you're not there yet. No, so, no. you know, it's it. You know, you can say that, you know, we have consent, but you don't know yet because you don't really know what that environment's going to be. So, I mean, my my role in, in all of that really involves kind of trying to sort of identify anybody that might be too vulnerable to manage. This. And it, again, like I say, it depends on the risk profile of the production. Not all, well, not all reality TV productions are that 
are high yeah. risk because some right. of them might they might right. only be on one episode for for 15 minutes and it might be on a channel that isn't you know itv it might be on a completely different channel so it might not be as exposing for them and and actually that there's less risk there um so you know it's, it's about looking at that identifying whether the individual is going to be adversely affected by their participation in the production and uh the media attention that they might get afterwards but if someone is adversely affected or goes through difficulties it's you know making sure that they've got the aftercare there to support them through that on the other side and to be honest the production companies i've worked yeah. for have been great I've been really, really good. And, you know, most of the contributors have all given fantastic feedback. They felt they were well looked after. So I think things are changing, uh, certainly in the last couple of years from what they used to be. Um, but it's not just, you know, in front of, you know, you work in this industry as well. It's not just in front of the camera, but people behind the camera struggle for different reasons, you know, with their yeah. mental health and well-being, the yeah. fact that you're freelancing, jobbing, you know, it's quite an insecure kind of world to be in, isn't it? It is. And it, 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 I think it's, I think, you know, what's happened, as we mentioned earlier, the COVID, I think it is, the landscape is changing. And I think, um, you know, I always have conversation with bands and, you know, different artists that wanted to come through and, you know, they'd always say to me, well, we just want to sign to, to the big label. And I say, well, they don't care about you, you know, and when they do care about you, it's because you're selling a million records. And if you're not, then you're, you know, you're tomorrow's chip paper and they look at you and think, oh, what do you know? You think, well, you can, you can have to go through the process or find out for yourself at some point how difficult this business is. And it is extremely difficult. It's it's not for the faint-hearted, and there's so many facets, you know, for an individual person to learn. It becomes really, really difficult. Um, and I think also, as you mentioned earlier, Charlotte, with your work with the after, and um, I think you know that's amazing work. What you're doing there, and I suppose looking at with young actors in today's world, and particularly minority groups starting out later in life, what sort of challenges are they, are they facing? And obviously with your work, you know, within that area and starting after, I think it's really cool. Yeah, I, I don't think there are challenges when you start later on. I mean, there are obviously there's challenges in everything, like I said before, but there are less people in the industry at that age. <laughs> so actually, the old, you know, the bit old, if you're a bit older and really if you've got unique selling points, that's what will help you in the acting industry. If, if you don't, then... Oh, I suppose it's sort of, uh, there are pros and cons to both. If you've got unique selling points, you're in a smaller pool of people, there's less competition, so you're more likely to get seen for the work and, and more likely to land it. And and to be honest, now, especially now, you want it to be kind of diverse and everything, but you want it to be equal. It doesn't want to be necessarily this tick box exercise where, oh, we must have one person with a disability here and one person with a you know who's mixed race here and one person who's Indian here and you, I, I do notice that I don't know if you do but I do, I, yeah. I do see that yeah, I do. when I'm watching TV yeah. that kind of almost this you sort of you want it but you don't want it to be so yeah. kind of um calculated yes. and orchestrated yes. you know yes. it's to the point where I mean I saw somebody um who'd who'd said that they were actually dropped from a mainstream uh production because he was a you know, middle-aged white guy. Oh, wow. And so, you know, he didn't tick any boxes. Yeah. So he was dropped. And I just felt that that was really unfair. You know, wow. it, it, it needs to be fair. You know, it's got to be fair. So we, we want this fair opportunity for everyone. And I'm glad it's going that way. Where you don't want to get want it to 
get to the point where it becomes a detriment to others. No. Um, so I suppose it's finding that balance. And I'm glad the industry is moving in that way. We've obviously had quite a lot of success with our actors at Yafta, where we've um, had one of them went on to uh, James. He had a lead role. He still has a lead role in Emmerdale, um, uh, playing Ryan Stocks, and he won National Television Award. And he's one, uh, one of the first people with a disability to win an NTA. So that was a really big achievement for him. No, I was going to mention because I think, um, you know, I think one of the times when I turned on the telly and I actually saw James and I started watching, I thought, actually, that is really, really cool. And then it might have been a couple of weeks later, Charlotte, I put Coronation Street on and I saw Liam Barstow and I thought, do you know what? This is actually really interesting. And I really like this because we don't live in a 2.4 children world. It's really nice to see diverse. And I think the guys have done really well. And like you said, you know, get a national television award and, and what both guys are doing. I think it's not only a testament to the industry, but a testament to you. And I think it's just really great to see, to be honest with you, because everyone deserves an opportunity. Yeah, they do. And and I think the world, you know, can be quite a cruel place. And, uh, you know, I, like yep. as I mentioned, I grew up with a brother with disabilities. And it, it, yes. I, we, I did always feel kind of like an outsider with it, really. And it, nobody really understood it. And it felt like it was just us. And uh it, it was a straight, it was an uncomfortable position to be in and people were quite mean. I don't know if, I, I hope people aren't like that now. Uh, people are probably more aware of it. And I, and I think that when you have more diversity in on screen, it just subconsciously goes in. It affects people's perceptions, attitudes, their unconscious biases. It affects all of that. Then people become more accepting of diversity, disability. Because I think before, when I was younger, a long time ago, you didn't really see people with disabilities on screen and so actually there wasn't really anything to relate to so um i I think it's it's, they're doing an important job liam and james uh in helping to kind of raise awareness of disability and also to show that people can go on and have fantastic careers with disabilities yeah i think so and i think i watched your interview with um, liam on bbc news i think it was just you know just really great to see and i think i think we have got to move you know that that way forward i think the world has got to change and i think covid to a point has maybe i know we're using the word reset button but i think things have got to change and for the better hopefully because i I think people got to stand up and think and you know there's a lot of people out that haven't had the opportunity and you're probably in the best position more than most with having a brother that's been disabled and and had a very difficult time and upbringing you're probably you know the best person to actually represent these people because you've got a really good understanding background and empathy towards you know how you can um, represent these people and come from a film or tv background it just adds that little bit of cherry on the top really it's interesting because you don't really appreciate i suppose what you have as a person no. because it's just you you know you don't so there are a lot of things that are quite innate to me that i just know and I, I think it is just from growing up around a brother and dealing with you know difficulties with yeah. getting him into schools yeah. and funding and social services to you know try and source funding for carers or whatever all those those difficulties that um i suppose parents of children with disabilities will understand all too well um and and also really what siblings um go through as well and and how it affects the whole family i suppose i have an, a knowledge and understanding of that but that's all i've ever known so for me it's not really a kind of a uh, necessarily a conscious decision any of it it was just a oh you know yes let's uh you know we need to sort of develop a relationship with mine the gap in, in bradford and started representing their artists and it was just just felt very natural you know and it was just easy for me to 
do I, I don't know there was a, I understood that I understood the challenges that were in place so I understood the difficulties with casting and how we need scripts in advance or yeah. people who are living on disability living yeah. allowance don't have money to pay for a train down to London no. uh, you know we need support workers all of these things I just spoke I just knew it it wasn't a case of needing me needing to research what do these people need and and I, I suppose a different way of relating to people with disabilities as well because if I think people can be scared of it almost in a way, whereas when you're used to it, um, it's, it isn't, it's, you're just talking to another person, you know, so, but some people can be worried about saying the wrong thing or, or whatever. Yeah. So I think everyone wants to be treated with some respect oh, and um, that's all you yeah. remember at the heart of every interaction. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it wasn't really, like I say, it was, we would be doing the courses for actors with learning disabilities and then the roles came up and we, you know, we've actually, we've got some more really fantastic actors who've had some lead roles in, in BBC shows actually. And I just think they're going to do really well um, in, in this field going forward. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all changes, but I think, People have always thought with this industry that you have to be this certain type yeah. in order yeah, yeah. to for it to work. Yeah. But I don't, you don't, no. that you really don't. And if anything, YAFTA's really showing that, that it isn't an elitist world. You can come from whatever background and go into it. Um, you can have a disability and go into it. You can come from, be any race as well and go into it. There are roles out there for everybody else. It doesn't have to just be this kind of... A stereotypical idea of what everyone thinks a, 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 an actor in this country should be. No, again, I echo that and completely agree with you know everything you're saying, and it's just it's just really refreshing to see. I think really sort of touching back on COVID again and the way that you know we, what's happened to everybody and the way the world is. Do you think there'd be more opportunities for new talent coming through, or do you still think it will still you know stay the old system? Do you think there'd be any differences over the next few sort of few years? I think there's going to be, I've already noticed a change in racial representation on screen. I don't know if you have. Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. I, so I I think this is, <laughs> I suppose this is what the industry is like, is, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it changes as it needs to. But uh, yes, I think, I do think that it's on the whole becoming more diverse. So there are opportunities for a diverse mix of people um, now, more so than it's ever been. I don't know if COVID, I think that some of the events that have gone on throughout this COVID lockdown might well have um, opened doors uh, for people, but the industry was already going that way anyway, Yeah, I'd say. So it's, it's moving. I think that for freelancers, um, I know that's been really difficult because they they've really struggled financially throughout this yes. this lockdown yes. so perhaps uh production companies or channels will look at the structure of um how they're hiring staff from here on uh, that would be would be good yeah and i think you know do you think the uk will ever sort of have the budgets available for big productions or do you think it would just always be hollywood um you know churning out as we always see the big the big productions the big movies do you think that the, the budget constraints will ever change or just be you know Britain just produces a few films a year and that's that's what we do yeah it's an interesting one that isn't it I, I was chatting with someone about this the other day you know when you look at someone who's doing a, a soap or a I don't know a series over in America and they'll be getting paid you know um up to a million pounds an episode and <laughs> over know. here it's you know nowhere Quite. near that at all <laughs> and and it it's, there's such a big gap isn't there between yes. between that yeah. and 
you know, I, I think the thing is that if people want to go into screen acting, in order to get a visa for America, you need to have profile over here and you have to have reasonable success. So actually, it's about, I suppose, seeing what you want in your career. And if, if people are wanting to kind of go into the main street, bigger, bigger budget films and things like that, yes. it, it perhaps is that it's going to, they are going to have to consider going to over to America or uh, securing work here and then getting their sponsorship for a visa from the, the production yes. based over in America. Yeah. So there's that way of doing it as well. Yeah, it, it's a completely different, um, completely different setup to the States. I mean, this is when people think of, of the acting industry and the, the glamour and the money that comes with it. It really <laughs> is that. That yeah. is the American yeah. version of it. it it's no. not like that over here. No, it's not no, an no. easy career, and even when you're in it, it's it is quite unstable. I mean, I always say to to people to make sure they've got something else going on, just so that if anything, you know, falls through or they don't get the job or they that they they've got something else because the last thing you want is to be doing a job you hate just so you can put food on the table. So we always encourage people, and that's why our diplomas are structured as they are, so that people can have other jobs, but they can still give this a shot as well and see if it works out for them. Um, but we, yeah, I don't know about big budgets really, and, and if that will change. Uh, it's certainly, I think, commercials are big money over here, aren't they? Absolutely massive. Yes, they are. Yeah, they absolutely, yeah, absolutely are. And I think it's funny actually, you know, having this sort of part of the conversation with you because when we talk to our team in the, in the states, um, you know, some of the guys we work with in Atlanta and, and Los Angeles, and they say, "Oh, but we love your British actors, and you know, we love Olivia Coleman, and we we love Del Boy. We watch Johnny Falls and Austin. I think it's quite um, interesting to see the way that the, the US sort of views us as still, you know, massively credibility, and we still produce some great programs, some great dramas, some great films, and I think you know that will always be here, hopefully, um, because people, even today, and I'm sure you have the conversation, Charlotte. You know, people consume entertainment whether they go to the theatre. Or cinema or going to concerts um you know people love entertainment and they just, it just gets consumed in every way and, and even more so now with what covid's actually done is we're seeing a lot more streaming so a lot more people streaming music and netflix and amazon are seeing a lot more um shows being consumed um you know and maybe your daughter's got a favorite disney channel she watches you know possibly a good sign uh to be honest I, I was thinking oh as an agent from an agent's perspective i was thinking it's going to take a long time to get everything up and no. running but in it hasn't it doesn't seem to be that way we've had a lot of students and actors auditioning for roles for big productions so we've had people out there auditioning for a lot and i think what's happened is that so much has been consumed over this lockdown period obviously yeah. it all came to yeah, a yeah. halt so they just yeah, want to get I on with so. it now they want to get on with it get some new content made so, so it's full steam ahead. I think obviously the way that people are yes. filming is different, especially on yes. the soaps, but streaming platforms like Netflix and Amazon, they're, um, they're, they're now casting it and, and it's moving quite fast actually. So I think the industry is starting to pick up. I think people will realise how much they've consumed, uh, how much they enjoy uh, entertainment. I mean, I've watched probably everything on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not, not quite everything, but I've certainly watched a lot. Um, on it, and it had—it's very addictive, isn't it? When I you know. can just keep watching and watching, watching—it's it's been good. It's kept me company out of this lockdown. <laughs> yeah, there's some great, there's some great, you know, and I think that's where people consume so much. And you know, one of the things I was chatting to another one of our colleagues and in, in the film side, and he said that it's been sort of like a revolution. He's based in Canada, and um, saying that 
for big budget movies is that now instead of moving from location to location, they're looking at the idea of where that crew would film part of the film in Canada, and then another part of the crew would film, say, in China. And if there's a crew in England, they would film it here, all in situ, and then it'd just be edited in one location. And I thought, well, actually, that's quite, that's actually quite an interesting way to actually, you know, piece the movie together. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting. So people are thinking out of the box, and I think you're right. People sort of say got fed up with COVID, but I think they want to get on with their lives and actually sort of move forward. Um, and, a, and actually, a tip for you, I think it might be on Netflix or maybe Amazon, but a, a really good show I think you would really enjoy is Mind Hunter. Have you seen it? Do you know I haven't? I bought a book though because so, so many people have said to me you'd like that. It's great. It's fantastic. It it basically goes down to the, the FBI profiling of serial killers back in the day, and it's actually what they did. <gasps> Love. I you like you will. I've been trying to get Becky to watch it as well, and it got recommended to me, and I got I got hooks. And they go in. The only two things I would say to you is they actually go in when they do the profiling and they get the, the funding from the FBI to actually set this this unit up. They get a, a, a psychologist like yourself and the team, and they have two FBI agents, and they actually want to go in and talk to serial killers about how to profile. And they do Ed Kemper, the um, the, the co-ad killer back in I think back in the day in the 70s I believe and the, the one scene that they they went into they spoke to Charles Manson the guy that played Charles Manson Charlotte was fantastic really oh it's brilliant it's a really I think they're doing season three um but everyone I've spoken to it does great it's a bit slow to start with it's a little bit I wouldn't say clunky but it, it takes a little bit of getting used to the first sort of the first episode and then you start to get into it and it's really interesting really really interesting so yeah I definitely uh if you get a chance, give it a go. I will. So that's another three days out of my schedule now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to sit and binge that. Yeah, I will have, I will certainly have a look at it. It sounds really interesting. I, I mean, I started doing a master's actually. Yeah. I'm supposed to be starting a placement in a prison. Oh, and wow. it's a forensic side of things does, re- I won't be around, um, I don't think I'll be around any serial no. killers <laughs> at this stage, but um, I, it, it does really interest me. I find it fascinating. I mean, it's ever since I was a teenager, probably sort of 16, 17, I've read books about serial killers because it's, it's an interesting, you know, psychopathy is really, really interesting interesting uh, and understanding where that comes from you know what kind of environment these people grew up in and why it's resulted in that it fascinates me it really does yeah so i will certainly watch that yes <laughs> but, i suppose really going back to you know how you started yafta and of course you're the owner of the company based in leeds and it must um obviously given access a great understanding of starting out and I think shortly after YAFTA was incorporated in 2013 um, the agency was developed to help students break into the industry so you must be immensely proud of that Charlotte just being able to provide that facility and seeing young people you know move forward and have you know find their feet and enjoy what they do and actually have an opportunity to actually go on like Liam and um, James has done. Yes, I am. I'm very proud of the company and proud of uh, all of the teachers and especially David, who's um, been with the business since, uh, since well, really before it was even incorporated, you know, the early days of yeah. getting it together. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was the first, one of the first teachers I interviewed and he started working, doing sort of one hour a week teaching and then it's just grown and grown and grown and he's yeah. been you know, absolute integral part of it ever since then. Uh, and proud of all the students as well. I think that, you know, we've created a nice environment where, you know, we have a certain way of teaching and a certain environment, which I like 
teachers to keep to. So it's a caring and nurturing environment where people feel safe because I think that's where people learn best. Um, but obviously, you know, we do p- give people a bit of a nudge if they're not doing what they should be or turn up late. Uh, because yeah. That's this industry. You can't yeah. go out there and turn mm-hmm. up late and expect to keep getting work. You just won't. No, no, no. Um, so you know, we, we try to guide people and get them on track, but we do it in a, you know, ho- hopefully a friendly way. And students seem to love it. They love the course. They love the environment. They develop into fantastic actors and uh, really that's a testament to, to David's teaching and to the team. Um, you know we do have a structured syllabus in place where they work through different levels and different skills and competencies required to work as a screen actor and it's not just the the skill of acting but it's also the the, the half of it's the industry side of it so understanding how to audition how to keep yourself afloat yeah, yeah. um how to manage the whole process and to be honest if something good's going to come out of covid i'm hoping that some of the audition process will stay online because it prevents it stops actors having to drive travel to london or vice versa traveling yes. london up to leeds to yes. to do a you know a 10 minute audition uh, and then to not get it because it's it's a big outlay for people you know especially with not earning things so that's one good thing to come out of it. Yes. Just about to after. I I am proud of all of that, really. And you know, it's a, it's one of those things again. You know, when I go go down to the building and sort of look around and think, wow. You know, if you think sort of seven <laughs> years ago it was just a couple of yeah. evening classes, yeah. And now it's a full academy with buzzing with students and different cohorts, different courses, and students going off and doing fantastic work. It's 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 amazing. I think sometimes with business, it is about the right place the right time so having yes. your idea yes. and uh, at the right time when it's needed and approaching it with the right values which i think you know we did and i do approach all my business businesses with sort of those the same core values and it just worked and it was somewhere that i would have wanted to go to learn to act and and by putting you know those kind of um, what I would have wanted in, in my training, I guess, in place. It's just worked and it's attracted other actors and it, it, it's done it's done well. Um, so doing well so far. I mean, you never know, do you, what's going on and no, you can't no, take no, anything no, for granted, no. but I'm just grateful for how well it's done so far. Well, I think, um, again, it's a really good point you touched on with, you know, actors and dancers and singers, you know, right across the creative industries that would have to go and audition. And one thing that you know, Becky would have to do quite a lot. You know, she would say to me, she'd be up at four o'clock in the morning, she'd have to travel to London or Manchester or be in Scotland the next day. And, you know, she's in front of like 500 people and it's either a yes or no, and you've got to come all the way back. And she would always say to me, the best thing maybe she had from a day if she didn't get the audition was having a Starbucks and a, and a, and a sandwich. And you think, yeah, it's tough. And I think it's, it's really, really, really tough to go through. And I think... Having that resource, Charlotte, of education backed up with the team that you have from a professional background, I think it does give young people just that little bit more of a chance. And actually, they're listening to people that have been there and done it. And I think it just makes it more of a conducive and great environment, really, for for young people to learn. And and if they didn't go on to be an actor and they went on to do something else, an architect or whatever they want to do, it's still valuable life experience for them. I think so. And, and we are really honest with people as well. And when we don't sort of say, oh, come here and you'll be getting a lead role and you walk out. Yeah. We're really honest, even at the audition stage where we say this is a really tough industry. Yeah. There's no guarantee that you're going to get any work out of it. We hope you will. That's our aim that you will. But we, we can't guarantee that. And, and even when you do it, you can be jobbing. So that that is why it's this our diploma, sort of the 18-month programme really is structured 
um, to allow people to continue with A-levels or degrees or work or family, whatever it is, so that they can fit that around, uh, fit fit the, the diploma programme and the training around whatever else they've got going on. Because it's a, you know, you can't put all your eggs in one basket and say, no. right, that's it, I'm going to no, quit no. my career no. and I'm going to go and do this to go and... I wouldn't I just wouldn't feel comfortable with that no. you know so it's I think this is it's a really good sort of it's a good way for them to do it you have to be able to act that's the reality you do need to know what you're doing you do have to be good at it but this is a good way of them learning how to act how to perform for screen they get to meet with casting directors and directors there's some fantastic people coming in and doing workshops yes and then they can give it a good crack they yeah, can yeah. have a good crack at actually going into the industry and seeing how it goes but exactly without having to give up on whatever else they've got going on, you know they need to have a safety net and you've got a better chance of securing an audition if you don't walk in with desperation on your face because you've got no money <laughs> in the bank so you yeah. know if you're sort of there thinking, I, yeah. I need this job because i need to buy food you know it's not yeah, yeah, good yeah, yeah. so i think no. if people have no, got not. that kind of relax they relax because they've got what they need then they can go in and do a good performance and also yeah sometimes the universe i mean i've had it would you know and i'm sure we all we, you know, we all have where you go into a situation and think, oh, i really want to get this and you learn after time the world doesn't want you to have it or the universe is not on your side and sometimes you just have to go with the you know okay well, i didn't quite get that but the next thing i will and i think you, you know you're right if you go into a situation looking desperate then that transcends across to what you're doing and people go oh, no actually i don't think that's going to work for us today Absolutely. And and if you don't get it, there is a reason. And and I, I, yeah. I, I think that the reason is normally quite deeply within yourself as well. You maybe know it's not the right time or the right job or that you maybe yeah. can't cope with that right now. And somehow you, you don't do your best. But when you're ready for it, you, you know, I think it will happen. You you allow yourself to do your best when you're ready for it. I think I, I believe so much in the power of our own mind. Obviously, we've been a psychologist of, yes. of how much of a of a control we have over our own world and our own lives and our own choices and we're really deeply embedded as well you know the things that we maybe we didn't realize that we would have chosen we do so if 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 people don't get the the auditions that they're going for then then it isn't the right time and actually perhaps something better will come along but it's a tough industry and and actually you i think statistically you get one in 16 jobs that you audition for so it's a lot of auditions and a lot of not hearing yep. back and yep. for me and what i always teach our students is that i think the hardest part of being an actor is that is the auditioning and not hearing back yes. or the auditioning and not getting it that's definitely yep. the hardest part getting the job and doing the job is just brilliant it's an absolute whale of a time but it's when you, yeah. when you don't yeah. get it it's, it's the it's that part of it it's the relentless stream of auditioning and how that can really chip away at your own confidence and self-esteem yeah. of you know even the yeah. most resilient of people can start to doubt themselves after a while which is why is another reason why i think it's good to have something else going on that you're good at because you know that your whole world doesn't revolve around that if you don't get it you don't get it okay move on you know you've still got this other thing going on that you're good at and that gives you some sort of self satis some satisfaction and some belief in yourself and some confidence and and we all need that we all need to we all need to feel that we've achieved something um and it, you know actually you can't just rely on a job in the acting industry to do that no so no, no, it, i mean no. some, there are there are people who go on and have 
amazing careers so there are some people who do that and the you know there's it's not just acting skill that's in the mix there there's a, ver- a few different factors at play w- when that happens um but most people will be kind of doing various different parts um but it's inconsistent i suppose that's the thing unless you're lucky enough to get a, a lead role in something and stay in it for a very long yeah, time yeah it, it is it is difficult and i think no, I, I agree. I think everything's different. It's always good to have a, um, you know, a fallback position. And I really, I, I suppose with your many hats you're wearing as a psychotherapist and as running YAFTA and as an agent, what, what pulls on your time? Do you enjoy them all equally or, or is it one area that still pulls you away and you think, oh, I actually enjoy that more than most? Or is it, or is it all equal, would you say? Oh, I'm so torn because I just love them all. <laughs> and, it's, yeah. and it's, you know, I, I sometimes think, oh, I really need to just focus on one thing. And then yeah. and then I'll go back to the other thing and think, oh, God, but I just love this so much. So <laughs> I'm, I'm doing it all and enjoying it all. And yeah. it's good yeah, yeah. if you can imagine, you know, it's quite heavy. I'm doing psychology yes. work. Um, you yes. hear a lot of trauma. You work through yeah. a lot of trauma. It can be emotionally quite painful. Um, yeah. uh, so you've got all that on one hand and then the other hand you've got someone auditioning for Toothpaste Commercial and it's worth like 40 grand. Fantastic. You know, it's just two complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Yes. And I mean, I, yes. I get so excited when the actors get auditioned. It's almost as if I've got the audition. I, I honestly, I'm so <laughs> excited for them. And it, it, I'm almost brought to tears when they get the part as well. Yeah. You know, it's just... Yeah, I, I'm really invested in it. So it's such the, the after side of things. It's um, I just love it because it's so it's lighthearted. It's obviously it's, it's business, which it brings challenges with it. But yeah, the, yeah. you know, the, the best it is. Uh, it really, I really do love it. It's an amazing environment. The team I've got who I work with are just brilliant. The students are fantastic. It's, uh, I love the industry that we're in. I love how exciting it is. And it, although it's unpredictable, yeah. that is yeah. really exciting. It is. You know, I mean, I had one actress who you know, she worked in a, worked as a seamstress. And then next thing, she had a recall for a Marvel film. So they were flying oh, wow. to New York wow. uh, within oh, cool. three days. Oh, wow. Do this recall. And it's just, you know, such an exciting industry to be in yeah and i absolutely love it and and i love doing and then when you've got mixed the two together and then i'm doing my psychology work in the film and tv industry again really exciting because it's an unusual job and it's something that's very different yeah. flying off to different locations and you're on set you're going like i'll go down to london and work from there sometimes and you know so really i'm you know very fulfilled um in, in my career and i'm very lucky that that i have you know i'm in this position and that I'm doing everything I could want to do. You know, I think that's the thing. I don't have this, I always wanted to do yeah. my doctorate. You know, I think I'd done all these other things in my career. And I thought, oh, I always want to do that. And, you know, now I'm, you know, coming towards the end of that. You know, I feel, I feel like I've, oh, these are all the things I always wanted to do and I'm doing them now. So, um, I, you know, that's been, for me, if I've wanted, wanted it career-wise, I've really worked hard to kind of get there. And, uh, you know, the last business went under on a lot house and everything it was awful it was a bad time you know but you live and you learn so it hasn't always been a smooth ride uh, but you know those experiences make you stronger they really do well i i again i echo that immensely charlotte because you know i worked as a as a promoter for a long 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 time and you know i went through some bad times and you know you, you sort of floating on the the wind and thinking is this going to work is this not going to work and i do think it teaches you a lot and some of the people that you know i've had around me over the last sort of 30 40 years 
and sometimes they don't understand it. And I always say to people, well, you, you know, if you're in your nine to five and, and you've got a nice comfortable lifestyle, which no one really has anymore, then why don't you go into work tomorrow and say to your boss, actually, I'm going to leave and I'm going to set up my own thing. You won't do it because you won't know what to do. And then you'll be coming to someone like me about how's your mortgage going to get paid at the end of the month. And now you're going to go and deal with the bank manager to justify your £10,000 overdraft or your £1,000 overdraft or go and ask him for that. It's a different animal. And you really, it does separate, I not say the men from the boys, but you know what I'm saying, Charlotte, it's very, very difficult. Mm, it is. Uh, yeah, I think if you choose to go into a career where uh, you've got stability, um, there's a lot to be said for that. But, you know, working in film and TV industry, it's it doesn't matter what you do in the industry. I don't think you get that stability. No. Like you say, those practical things such as overdrafts, buying houses, mortgages, showing your financial security and your solvency. Yeah. It's more than when you're employed because yeah. when you're employed, you just say, oh, here's three months first pay slips, give me, you know, 200 grand mortgage, please. Whereas, you know, they don't, yeah. it's much harder when you're self-employed. You know? yeah. So it yeah. is, it's, it is, but if you're doing it and you're, you're doing everything right and you, that, you know, it's another thing we teach at Yaffa is make sure you, you're doing all your self-assessment and your taxes because actually you need all of that to be done right if you want to use it as a career because yeah. you need to, yeah. be able to, you know, like you say, prove your earnings and, you know, if you want to borrowing and buying houses and all yeah. and, and really be able to live off it. Um, so, yes, it is, it's a very different yeah. world, isn't it? But it's more exciting i think and it certainly depends on the individual as to what they're more suited to personally if i just had a job yeah. that was just the same monday to friday nine to five oh i don't i think i'd be bored <laughs> <laughs> if, well, it, yeah I, do, I have done it before and and i what i did find it quite boring really it, it was i enjoyed you know knowing the same people but you know maybe you just get used to it i suppose it, it's horses for courses what suits you but I, I do enjoy kind of having a career it's set in the way that it's set now. And obviously, you know, working with, with the youngsters at the college and obviously working with Liam and, and, and uh, James, do they phone you up from time to time? Do they sort of have a moan to you or, you know, how's your communication with those guys? Is it sort of regular once a week or do you sit down with them or are, are they sort of off doing their thing now? Um, as and when needed. I mean, there's a lot of students, so it's as and when people need me, really. Uh, but people are always having a moan. <laughs> <laughs> always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think we can ever get away from that. Uh, so it, with the actors, though, I think it's important for them. When you're working as an actor, it, you, it's quite a lonely world because you're on your own. You're going to auditions on your own. You're not necessarily, like, you're not going into an office, are you, and working. So no, you need no. to get used to being independent and working by yourself and having that drive to get up and the motivation to go to a workshop, go to a class go to an audition, whatever it might be, and be applying for work, updating your headshot, your CV, spotlight profile, contacting yes. your agent. Yeah, it comes through what you're saying. I think your energy and enthusiasm, it, it just, you know, that just imparts with, with just anybody, young people or someone that's in their 80s and 90s. I think that's, you know, a great quality to have. And I, what would you say is the one thing you wish you'd known before you began your career as a psychotherapist? What's that one, one little thing or one big thing? I think it would have been good to know that there are different routes into it um, and the the different modalities okay. that there are and those entry requirements into into it. I think it would have been good to know that because so I'm, you know, I'm doing a doctorate now. So I'm a, I've registered as a psychotherapist, but I'm also doing a doctorate. And because it's a yeah. psychology based yeah. doctorate, there's there are parts of it 
such as the academic side, uh, as in doing a, written essays and conducting research, which maybe I don't really find that, you know, that interesting. I enjoy undoing the work. So for me, um, I'd like to have maybe known that there were other ways into it than doing that. Um, and, you know, it's one of these industries that it's, it's too unregulated. Um, it, which is quite annoying really because there are people who call themselves various things or portray themselves as being qualified to do certain jobs and they're not and it's really dangerous and really damaging um and so that worries yeah. me quite yeah, a yeah. lot about this field and i hope that they do regulate it a bit more and get people who really do know what they're talking about so i suppose maybe that i suppose maybe learning yeah. about the different routes into it but no i don't know it's just it's one of those things that you learn a lot as you go along and you learn through other people it's really you know it's uh it's it's not just a, a job i think it, you're so heavily involved in it and so much of you in it and i don't mean in the room with the patient or a client but you, you, you the, your the perception and how you view the interaction is there's a lot of you in that it's you doing it so although you can think of pull and draw on your theories there's still a yeah. lot of your yeah. own thoughts and beliefs that is is there and you have to be very aware of that um and i think it is just one of these fields where you're never really fully qualified i think you can do your doctorate you can do another five years and something else and you, you just keep going and going and going always more to learn and yes. people yes. are yes. so deep and complex if they want to go that far yeah. explore on that level and um, you could be in psychoanalysis five times a week for 10 years and you still wouldn't have explored everything that's how much we've all got going on so and some people do that i mean it's very intense but you yeah. know some people yeah. do and need do it and and they've benefited from it so um i mean i i i do love it and i think for me it's uh, you know I, I like i'd love to go down training in the psychoanalysis which is as i've just mentioned sort of five times a week um for five years the training um yes. and yep. uh, of your own analysis and then you have two analysis five times a week as well and uh, it's very intense it's probably something i'll do later on when you know i'm a bit older my daughter's a bit older and maybe not got you know a million different businesses to do at the same much time. going on <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly and yeah so no there isn't really anything that i would have uh i would want to know i suppose uh yeah, I suppose that there, I think that knowing that there's different routes into it all, I think that's helpful for people to know. And I think people should need to just if they're looking for therapists or psychotherapists or psychologists need to be aware of where they find appropriately qualified, trained and registered therapists, um, because yeah. it, people need to have registrations uh, in, in order to be um clusters having the right kind of educational background but also enough experience of working with people before they're let loose on on the public and uh, that's really important people don't seem to understand how damaging uh you know mental health uh, you know psychotherapy can be if it's not done correctly um so uh, making sure they go with someone that they, they know what they're talking about is, is really important no, I agree, and and being regulated, and and actually being comfortable with that person that you're actually speaking with, I I, I can agree more. Really, um, I think we all mm. I think we all have to have therapy at some point in our life, depending on what we've dealt with, whether it's marriage, divorce, whatever. Really, I just think everybody goes through certain things, and sometimes it's just good to talk to somebody. Um, mm. And and I mean, really, with all your experience, uh, you know, across what you've done and you're doing, Charlotte, 
what would be the two, just the two single points of advice you would give to budding actors, actresses wanting to come into this industry? What would be your two points of just general advice you would give? Uh, go for it, of course. Yeah. Uh, if it's something you want to do so many people put it on the back burner don't they and I, we have people who come at retirement and say I wish I'd done it and I feel like it's too late now and it's never too late that's one thing go for it it's never too late it doesn't matter what age you are there's always going to be work out there no. you can be acting no. until the day that you die you really can be um, there's roles for all ages so uh, I, I get some training I would say I think it's really important that people have something else going on so definitely do a course something like ours a diploma program if you want to we obviously ours is screen acting but something that'll yep. you know equip you yep. with the skills and the knowledge that you want but that isn't going to kind of cut away everything else you've got going on in your life make sure you've got something else to support you do have a stable career behind you so you've got something to fall back on but you have to give it a yeah. shot. If it's something that you want to do, commit to it and give it a go. No, I agree. I think I, th I think so. And I think, again, that's solid advice because I think that everyone's got that nagging thing that they want to do, whether it's write a book or climb Mount Everest or whatever they want to do. But I think having a fallback um, position is, you know, it's really important because then I think when you go to do the thing you want to do, you'll, you'll do it with more vigour, more determination and you enjoy it a lot more rather than worrying if you can pay your mortgage or is there any food in the car well yeah this is it exactly um like you say having the structure having the support behind you what career you've got and looking what you're trying to achieve i think just having all that structure and just being able to go and having the, the enthusiasm being in front of you know somebody like yourself and your team to say yeah go on go for it we we're going to give you the structure we're going to give you a lot of energy and, you know, we want to support you to get on. And I think that's worth its weight in gold, no matter what you do. You don't necessarily have to have, you know, millions of pounds in the bank. You just need to have a good home environment and a good structure around you and good people that support you, really. And just say, give it a go. Absolutely. I think that's it. I think that life really is too short. If there's things that you want to do, then you've got to try. Exactly. Exactly. So is there anything, so if you had one thing in entertainment, um, and if you could change anything in entertainment, Charlotte, what would it be from, from today? What's the one thing you would change about entertainment? Or maybe not? Uh, more jobs, obviously. <laughs> exactly. So if there's enough for everyone to go around. No, I agree. I think it, it is tough. And I think, you know, people that are committed, it is tough. It is, no matter what you do, it is very, very tough. And I think sometimes people on the other side, that may be, you know, uh, the producers, directors, um, you're coming in for an audition, sometimes... They don't maybe understand or they're under pressure from because they've got you know, roles to fill and, and they've got shareholders that they've got to keep happy. So I think it's difficult in all cases, but I do agree with you. I think um, just having that bit more flexibility and for people to be able to do their job and, and be in a, you know, a better environment, I think is a good thing. Um, so hopefully things will slightly change and, and um, there'll be a lot more roles and we'll see a lot more people like Liam and James on the screen, which I think would be... See me in Mission Impossible 8. Why not? Why not? That'd be quite cool, wouldn't it? Well, it would be, yeah. <laughs> I don't see any reason why not now. No. <laughs> <laughs> so just changing it a little bit, Charlotte, from uh, what we've been discussing, what what do you like to do in your spare time? What sort of hobbies do you have? Anything? Obviously, you're extremely busy. So do you have any time for any hobbies? You know, walking or what, what, what do you like to do? Uh, no, I don't like walking. 
I really don't. <laughs> I really wish I did. I just don't. My body hurts so easily. Um, I like going out on the bike. Look, I mean, obviously, love spending time with my daughter, doing anything with her, really. Um, star days, yeah, yeah. love that. Holidays, which we, we used to, before COVID, used to travel a lot, my daughter and I, and we travel all over the world, really. Yeah. And so I love doing that. Um, but I honestly just really enjoy doing nothing, you know, just lying on the sofa in my pyjamas, eating. Yeah. Um, like a pig and uh, you know relaxing with my daughter and I actually really love watching you know Disney films a bit I didn't you know before I had my daughter but I love watching those with her now um uh, yeah, yeah I, I do yeah. I just enjoy doing that I really enjoy just relaxing and, and not doing too much so um I think life's quite hectic anyway you know always up and about and traveling yes. all over the place so I like doing that I mean I play a bit of tennis um and okay. uh you know started doing being a bit healthy with things um yeah i spending time with friends as well you know i, I really enjoyed yeah. i've had a bit of time off over this month and i've really enjoyed doing things like going out for afternoon teas and going out for food and <laughs> just going to a, going to a park but just having yeah. a chat with people you know just just yeah. the normal things nothing too wild and crazy it's yeah, just yeah. like doing socializing yeah. interacting with people and you know that kind of thing yeah i've just enjoyed doing that really no no i, I agree and sometimes like you know like you say sometimes it's nice to just sit on the sofa put the tv on and get a glass of wine or a cup of tea or whatever and and just sit down and just watch what you want to watch and just flick through the channel and think oh, i want to watch that tonight sometimes just being doing that is just i find it great because like i like you said life is busy and it's sometimes just nice to get off the train and just just relax to be honest well that's it and it's just switching off isn't it you know learning to switch off and yeah. switch your mind off and uh, and let go of work for a little bit it's really important it um, is. and however anyone does that um you know best yeah. you know some people some people you know love doing their exercise and going for running and going for runs i mean i, I just cannot get into that <laughs> and just to really finish off our chat today charlotte and um looking at your whole experience what you've been doing you know for the next budding actors and actresses who want to come through how can they how can listeners connect with you you know online website social media what's the best place they can uh, sort of get in touch yeah so they can go to the website go to www.yafter.co.uk um or they can email uh info at yafter.co.uk and if, if they want to speak to me directly they can just put hey oh charlotte and that'll come through to me um, and um, everything that we do is on the website and uh, I'd really love to hear from people who want to get into the industry or who want to do some training um, you know get in touch it'd be great to hear from you I oh, know that's brilliant and I think I think it's been a real pleasure to um, speak with you today on the entertainment engine Charlotte and learning about your career and how you started and the way you're moving forward and your energy and enthusiasm to the next generation of young people coming through i think it's great and uh real pleasure to have you on the show today thank you so much for having me it's been a real delight talking to you it was really great having charlotte on the show this week i hope you learned an awful lot because i think it's really important to share this type of information especially with the people working in the creative industries so i thank charlotte for that and now we're over to bex for this week's fact of the day facts of the day if you've ever been wondering which actor has had the most leading roles in feature films, well, I can tell you that the Guinness World Records lists John Wayne as tops. 
The Hollywood star appeared in 153 movies. John Wayne remained one of the box office's top draws for three decades. And if you like a good old Western, you should check out True Grit, starring John Wayne. Plus, you should also check out the remake by the Coen brothers, which is also a really great film. It stars Jeff Bridges, Matt Damon and Josh Brolin. Now, let's take a quick look at last week's question of the day. Which solo artist had UK top 10 hits with Queen, Mick Jagger and Bing Crosby? And the answer is... David Bowie. And I just want to give a big shout out to Louise from Oxford in the UK who emailed us in with the correct answer. So really big well done for that. And thanks to everybody else who's been sending in their answers this week. Really, really great. Well, that's all for today's episode of The Entertainment Engine. And thanks for listening. Join us again next week when we look at the pros and cons of an independent music label versus the major labels. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow The Entertainment Engine on Facebook and Twitter for all the latest updates. It would be great to have your feedback on the show, so you can always drop us a message at any time. That'd be great. Thanks for listening to the show and stay safe. The Entertainment Engine.